I bring you greetings from um, the two conferences that I was speaking at. They were both missions conferences. Um, one was interdenominational at uh, the Bob Jones University, but the other was a local Baptist church, uh, Morning View uh, Baptist Church, and they, they particularly send their greetings. Uh, one of the encouragements I always draw in uh, visiting and speaking at missions conferences is to reflect upon our own missions conference here and uh, uh, imagine the change that it has brought about among us over the years in terms of our own uh, missions activities. And so even as we are considering our, our brother Wonyambe for missions work in uh, uh, Kaoma, again, we are eyeing the missions conference as an opportunity for us to uh, set him apart. Apart from that, uh, our own missions conference uh, is growing. Uh, this coming missions conference, it won't just be our own missionaries who will be with us. We are expecting quite a number of other indigenous missionaries, both within Zambia and across Africa to actually be present here. Uh, we, we have roughly 15 missionaries. We are expecting to roughly have 30 missionaries present over that week. So please pray for the event. It's growing, it's huge, and uh, um, make an effort to also be present for that event. Uh, we, we, we make a lot of effort to bring these things together, and sometimes it can be disheartening that the people that you're preparing this for are just continuing life as if nothing has uh, happened. Uh, let's make sure we, the last week of February, we free it up as much as possible. Uh, we are making a change on the Saturday afternoon for the missions conference, we will divide up into actual workshops on that afternoon in order to address issues that are closer to ourselves in terms of practice. How can I, as an individual, either go or be participating actively in sending others out to missions work? How can we support those who are gone out there in practical ways and so on? So there's a lot of work that is being done. Again, that Saturday, the last Saturday of February, please free it up so that you can benefit in that way. Well, as you already heard earlier, we have got pastoral interns that have come in already a few more are on the way i think two or one more i think still to come in so those pastoral interns are already here if you could please stand up uh, wherever you are and uh, yeah please stand stand okay uh, i'll just need to count let's see one two three four one two, three, four five six seven eight okay so eight are here 
largely from Lusaka, others from other parts of uh, the country, Eastern Province, the Cobra Belt, and then we've got our brother who's from uh, the Congo, but through Uganda, and then uh, we have another one who should be coming in from Cameroon. So they're quite scattered from different parts of uh, uh, Zambia and Africa. Uh, let's do our usual traditional welcome. Let's, let's welcome them. Uh, thank you. You may be seated. <coughs> you may be seated. And uh, we will welcome our brother from Cameroon when he finally lands as well. Uh, there might be another one, I'm not sure. Uh, the, the numbers are overwhelming, but it's encouraging that the Lord has given us as a church such a privilege to prepare men for ministry uh, in this way. Not just through Lusaka Ministerial College, not just through African Christian University, but also through our uh, internship program. Uh, he's given us the privilege to own three houses as a church where they are staying and so forth. So uh, we are truly most grateful to God for all this. All right, please listen in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Taking a bit of time, but I uh, hope we are now ready to turn to God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, we are continuing to look at what we are calling celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ. And I still don't want us to lose the sense of celebration. This is not just doctrinal teaching. It is meant to excite us as we are going through a world that has its demands upon us, a world that has a lot of sorrow and misery, enough to cause us to be miserable. But here in the Bible, we have truths that are meant to keep us buoyant in the midst of all these issues so that we might be a people who are full of joy, the unsearchable riches of Christ. From verse 11 of this chapter down to the end, the Apostle Paul is giving us reason to celebrate, especially because of the nature of the church, the church to which we ought to belong if we have repented from sin and put our faith in Christ. And if you're a Christian, and you have not yet deliberately taken the kind of step that our sister here was taking to join a specific church and to live out your full life among the people of God, I urge you to do so because it is one way in which we show something of the full life of a Christian. We have... Uh, been seeing in this passage of scripture what we as Gentiles were before Christ came. And we saw that we were outsiders. We then went on to see the way in which in the coming of Jesus, this has been changed completely. We saw that in chapter 2 and verse 13. But now we are told in Christ Jesus, 
You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We took a deeper look into that phrase, brought near by the blood of Christ, and we saw that it is because Jesus himself has become our peace. It's not a method. It's a person. Jesus Christ himself has become our peace. The peace between us and God. Verse 14 and verse 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create notice in himself. So he is our peace. In himself, one new man in place of the two, thus making peace. And we saw that he has not just reconciled us to God, but he has consequently also reconciled us to one another through the cross. That's what we were looking at last time in verse 16 and verse 17. Verse 16 and verse 17. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that is, us who are Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that is, the Jews. So bringing us both together in Christ that we might truly belong not only to God, but also belong to one another. Today, as we look at verse 18 and verse 19, we are now looking at the benefits, the outcomes of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross in being our peace. What is the outcome of this? As you might notice from the title of my sermon, there are two that are mentioned here, and it is that we have new access to God, and we also have a new status in Christ. A new access to God and a new status in Christ. And as we look at each, I want us to bear in mind where we are coming from. Remember where the Apostle Paul began when he says that you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, you were strangers to the covenants of promise, you had no hope, and you had no God in the world. That's where we begin. A hopeless people and a godless people destined for hell. That's where we're starting from. And then now he is telling us, after what Jesus Christ has done, look at the fruit. And the first fruit he mentions is that in Christ, we now have this access, both as Jews and Gentiles, to the Father in the Spirit. Now again, bear in mind the impossibility of what has just been spoken about here. 
having access to God through the Spirit. The God that is being mentioned here is the thrice holy God. He is the God in whose presence sinners cannot dwell. He is the God in whose presence when the angels sinned, they were immediately chucked out of heaven. In other words, we must not even begin to think that it is the kind of presence we can just stray in. It's absolutely impossible. This is the one in whose presence now we are being told we have access. One hymn writer has captured this in a hymn that is called Eternalite, Eternalite, and I asked our friends in the studio to just beam the words on the screen for us because I wanted us to, to just go through it quickly and, and capture something of what the impossibility was and what God has done in Christ. He begins by saying, eternal light, eternal light, how pure the soul must be when placed within thy searching sight shrinks not but with calm delight can live and look on thee. In other words, there must be a certain purity, which, as he goes on to say in the next stanza, we don't have. He says, the spirits that surround thy throne may bear the burning bliss, but that is surely theirs alone, since they have never, never known a fallen world like this. He says, I can understand angels surrounding your throne and worshipping you. But look at the way he now contrasts with ourselves. Oh, how shall I, whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim, before the ineffable or the indescribable appear, and on my naked spirit bear the uncreated beam. How can I even think that I can dwell in such a presence, knowing the sinful past that I come from, the world in which I dwell? And then he goes on to say, and that's what the answer is in our text. There is a way for man to rise to that sublime abode. And he mentions three things. Number one, an offering and a sacrifice, which Jesus obviously made. Number two, the Holy Spirit's energies, which is in fact mentioned in our text. And then the third, Jesus being at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And hence the, the hymn ends with the words, these, these prepare us for the sight of holiness above. The sons of ignorance and night can now dwell in the eternal light through the eternal love. I mean, that hymn alone says everything 
that I need to say in this first point concerning access. That Jesus Christ has managed for us. Friends, going into God's presence is an utter impossibility without what Jesus Christ has done. Remember his own words in John and chapter 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. It's an absolute impossible for anyone to have access to the Father except through me. Or, as he puts it later in chapter 3 of Ephesians and verse 12. I'll begin from verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. There it is. He has achieved it through whom? Through Jesus alone. And what has he managed to achieve? Listen to this in verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. We have courage and we have access. We are able to go into God's very presence. That which previously was utterly impossible. Now we have genuine access into his presence. Now, in one sense, the access has to do with prayer that you and me can now actually speak to God. We can go into God's presence and talk with him. We are not like idolaters who are speaking words into empty air. We actually speak to God. We do. And you can tell the difference when a person gets converted, isn't it? Before they get converted, they say prayers. That's all they do. They say prayers. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's just a, a ritual. It's empty. But when they are converted, they pray. They pray. When the Apostle Paul was converted and uh, Ananias was being told to go and meet, uh, at that time it was Saul of Tarsus, go and meet with him. The, 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 Ananias was afraid and he said, Lord, I've heard much about this man. He, he's been persecuting the church everywhere. And uh, the Lord said to him, don't worry. Go and meet with him. And then this was the statement he made. He is praying. He is praying. He, he's, he's now got that access. You will hear him. He is praying. I remember one individual who got converted in our church. He was attending one of our conferences in August. And uh, the preacher stood up to pray. And when he prayed, that gentleman, he's a member of our church now, said, I realized then I'm not a Christian. 
just listening to that prayer, he said, I realized there is somebody who has access to God. I don't have it. This access manifests itself in prayer. And one of the reasons why you may not be a person who loves to pray on your own is because you actually don't have that access. So why keep going through a ritual? Why? It's empty. And that's why you don't pray. Maybe just pray when you're about to eat. And even then it's, thank you for the food, amen. You've already put your five fingers into your shima. It's not really praying. Because you have not yet experienced the new birth. The, the Spirit's energies, as we've been told here, that it is through the one Spirit. But through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So let me ask you today, do you pray? I'm not asking whether you attend a prayer meeting. Do you pray? Do you actually know anything about speaking to someone who is your father in heaven? And you actually pray. Do you know anything of that? Because if you don't, with all the love in my soul, I want to tell you, you are not yet a Christian. You may be religious. You may have been welcomed even into Kabwata Baptist Church, but you are not yet a true child of God. The reason why you don't pray is because you don't have this access. You don't. But let's go further. Because this access is more than just praying. It is praying, but it is more than just praying. It is access into his actual presence. It is to begin to live with God, to walk with God, to be with him. The Apostle Paul captures this meaning in uh, Romans and chapter 5. Turn with me quickly there. Romans and chapter 5. He puts it this way, beginning with this one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there it is, since we've been converted, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, what Jesus has done is to reconcile us to God and then also to one another. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then here it is. Through him, we have also obtained access. There it is again. We've obtained access by faith, but notice, into this grace in which we stand. So this is more than simply access that we may speak to him, but it is access into his actual presence. Now, we live today in the midst of uh, uh, technological advancement, so it's fairly easy for me 
to illustrate this. Uh, there's a sense in which you can have access to the president without necessarily having access to the president. And let me explain. Uh, you could be next to somebody who works immediately for the president and therefore has his hotline. And in the midst of your situation, he may say to you, well, actually, why don't you talk to the president right away? And he could ring the president, give you the phone, and there it is, HH, you are talking to him. But that doesn't mean you are in his presence. Attempt now to be in his presence. And at the most, you end with the security guards at State House. They are trained to stop you from getting to the president. They will answer all your questions by saying, yeah, yeah, you can now go and see the first secretary there, or the second secretary, or, you know, somebody else, and so on. They will attend to you, and they will do everything else to stop you from getting in. But it is the child of the president who just walks in. Just walks in. And whatever number of security guards are there, just says, hey, and he walks right through. He has access with him. He lives with him. And that's something of the picture that is here, as we are being told, and through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, to actually live with him, to dwell with God. From the very moment of our conversion, we live, as it is put in Romans 5, into this grace in which we stand. And as a result of this, we are told here that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Already now, we are rejoicing. We haven't even reached heaven yet. Heaven is still far ahead of us, but we are already in God's presence now. And consequently, we begin to, to rejoice. There, there is a lightness in our spirits because we are already walking with God. He adds, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope. In other words, in the midst of all the difficult situations that we are having in this life, we are still rejoicing. Why? Because we are walking with God. We are in his presence. And then finally, the Spirit comes in again in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Spirit of God, the Spirit's energies, as we heard earlier on from that hymn, those realities make us to process even our trials in a way that the world knows nothing about. We both have access to the Father. Is that a reality in which you live? Is that true of you? Today, is that true of you? Can you say in the words of the hymn writer, he lives, he lives,
Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. He lives with me. I'm in fellowship with him. I have access to him. I live in his very presence. May I suggest to you, brethren, that that's the biggest loss when a Christian sins. It's not some fear that I might lose my salvation and go to hell. No. It is the loss of the sense of God's presence with me. It's terrible. It's terrible. That's what the Christian does not want. To, to be one second or one minute or one hour in this life without sensing that God is with me. And therefore the Christian wants this fellowship with the Lord above everything else. Fellowship with God, being in his presence. Well, that's the first. We have access. But secondly, we have a new status, both as Jews and Gentiles. This new status in the kingdom of the Father. Now, strictly speaking, verse 19 is separate from verse 18 in the sense that from verse 19 to the end of the chapter, the Apostle Paul is now building on the consequences of that first meaning. So we have got access into the Father by the Spirit, and then it begins, so then, so then, this is the implication. And he gives us three, I will only handle the first two. In a sense, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. But Paul is now using three different pictures, three different imageries. The first is that of being a citizen in God's kingdom. We'll look at that one. The second is that of being a member of the household or the family. We'll also hopefully have time to reach there. The third is that of being part of the actual structure, the building. You are like a block in the wall. You are part of the actual structure. That one, he opens it up so much that I felt trying to squeeze it into today's sermon, we will be attempting the impossible. So that one will wait for next week, the Lord willing. But let's look at the first two. So then, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul begins negatively by reminding us of what we are no longer in terms of our status. 
Remember where we began. He had said earlier on, verse 11, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Notice the separation. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, so you were not citizens of the commonwealth of, commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise. He's now coming back and saying, that is no longer the case. You are no longer strangers. You are no longer aliens. If you are a Christian today, recognize that. That that which was once true about me, especially as a Gentile unbeliever, is no more. Christ has dealt with it. He's brought me from the outside in. I now belong. And how does he describe the belonging? He uses those three pictures. The first one is about being a citizen of a kingdom. But you are fellow citizens with the saints. You know, if you've ever traveled outside your own country and you go to a foreign country, you are there physically, yes. But you can tell, as the members say, Ndikwabene. I am in a place where my rights have suddenly dwindled to the point where I better behave myself a lot more than the citizens here behave themselves. At any time, I can be thrown out. At any time. In fact, even just trying to go in, they look at your passport, they look at you, so, so, when are you going back? <laughs> I have to answer that question quite a lot, you know. <laughs> when are you going back? <laughs> Next week. Okay? Have you got your return ticket? <laughs> Just want to make sure you're going back. Those who are citizens of that country, no, 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 they, they don't even bother. When they are there in front of those uh, uh, immigration officers, they're even chatting about the weather, you see? Yeah, it's very cold there. Where I'm coming from is very hot. And so they're not even talking about going in or coming out. It's their country. Well, friends, what Jesus Christ has done is to turn us into citizens of God's kingdom. We, we are not visiting. We, we mustn't be sitting as it were at the edge of our seats wondering at any moment we might be kicked out of this place. We need to, to, to try and behave like Angel Gabriel or something. No. We are now citizens with 
the full rights of those who are belonging to this kingdom. Thanks for that amen. I've heard an amen somewhere here. You know, a very rare species within these four walls. But it's celebration. We ought to be celebrating this. We really ought to. Because what Jesus Christ has done is incredible. We, the children of hell, that's where we belong. That's the kingdom we belong to. The kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of, of the evil one. He's translated us into the kingdom of his own dear son. And we are full citizens of it. And then he takes it one step further. And says that we are members of the household of God. Members of the household of God. And, and, and that's sort of increasing in terms of the sense of, of intimacy. The sense of intimacy with God himself. You see, being a, a citizen of a kingdom is more to do about rights. That's the main thing. It's rights. But when you're thinking in terms of being a, a member of a household... It's, it's in terms of the, the sense of not just freedom, but intimacy as well. But even at the level of freedom, it is in terms of a greater sense of freedom. Because this is home for you. You can tell when a child who belongs to a home walks in from school. You can't miss it. They sort of just arrive and bang, the front doors just swing open as if the king has arrived. And then upon coming in, the school bag is sort of thrown that side, the shoes are kicked off the feet, and if there is a remote control, already a remote control, but you are talking as adults there, eh? bang, the child wants to start watching the, the cartoon or the football match or whatever the child meet, missed and you realize, yeah, this child belongs here. This is not a visitor. But the one who's the, the visitor or sort of just being looked after briefly, you find it's in, maybe even after knocking, and then... To the bedroom, hello, hello. You can tell, yeah, this one has to observe all the regulations. <laughs> Again, that level of freedom, but also the level of intimacy. That child who belongs to the home comes in and hugs. Mommy, daddy. Glad to be back, and so on. There is a real sense of intimacy. This is dad. I belong here. This is mom. I belong here. 
Well, again, this is what Paul is bringing out when he says that we are members of the household of God. The church, that church family, the special people of God on earth, I belong to them, they belong to me, we are one family. I am not a secondary citizen of God's kingdom. I am not a secondary member of this household. Zero. I am as much a member here as anybody can ever be. Whether the person is called bishop or pastor or apostle or whatever, we are at the same level. Whether the person is priest or whatever, same level. There's nobody who has more rights than anybody else in the kingdom of God or in the family of God. There are no first-class citizens, second-class citizens. There's nothing like that. In this family of God, we all belong. What a privilege. Especially when you think about the Gentile Jew situation. Because for, for, for almost perhaps 2,000 years, maybe even more, it was all Jew versus Gentile. Jew versus Gentile. And even when there was the tabernacle and temple put into place, there was the outer court in which the Gentiles would come in. But it was the outer court. Not the inside, no. They, they were never called Jews. They were called Judaizers. That's what they were called, Judaizers. But that has changed. We, we, we don't sort of look at Jews in the church and say, how I wish I was them. They, they are nearer to God. Ah, uh -uh, they are not nearer. They are not driving or flying in first class while you are in economy. They are not. We are actually sitting next to each other. We are at exactly the same level. They are fellow citizens. They are fellow members. Of God's household, we belong together. Again, as I hurry on to close now, it's something we, we desperately need to catch and capture. First of all, you know, I honestly feel sorry for non-believers. I honestly do. Because you are still without God and without hope in this world. What a miserable way to live. What a miserable way to live. To, 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 to even go to church and, and you are looking and you are seeing people and, and you don't belong. They are not your people. You are an outsider. You have to face the trials of this world without belonging to the people of God and without God in this world. Therefore, it makes sense that you are without hope. What a terrible state to live in. And it who's stopping you 
Who's stopping you from celebrating the unsearchable riches of Christ? Who? It's yours for free. All you need to do is to repent of your sin, put your trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work, and hey, presto, you can come in. You can have a real living relationship with God. Access to him, belonging to him, today, right now, by repenting and believing in Christ. Don't wait until it is too late. I want to assure you, there's no real celebration out there. They can drink and dance and do everything the following morning. They're miserable with hangovers. It's terrible. But in Christ is all this. In Christ is all this. And lastly, for the rest of us who've already turned to Christ, please always remember that the church is yours. And I mean the local church is yours. You, you, you are not riding in a bus that you should be sort of sitting at the back and you don't know whose it belongs to and your part is, you know, you, you, you pay your money and you, you reach your destination and, and that's it. No. The church is yours. 100%. It's yours. There is no race that is superior to another in the church. There is no tribe that is superior than the other in the church. There is no social class that is superior than the other in the church. Zero. We are all at the same level. The church is ours together. Even in terms of access to God, there's nothing like, you know, the, the pastor or the priest. Yes, that one has more access, but me, it's down there, there's less access. Ah, ah. If there's anything that separates us, it's holiness. That's what separates us. So when in James chapter 5, we are being told to call for the elders, the apostle James quickly says what? The prayers of a righteous man avails much. It's about the godliness, not the office. It's the godliness. So if there's anything that is going to keep you away from God, it's your sinfulness. Remember I talked about it earlier. That's the one thing the Christian does not want to have in his life. Because you want to keep that access. So I want to repeat. Nobody in the church has any special, unique position or status or access which you don't have as a child of God. We all do. And the sooner we learn to rejoice in that, to make maximum fruit of that, to throw all our weight into the great kingdom work, the better. Because it is all ours. The Holy Spirit in you is the Holy Spirit who is in me. It's not an inferior spirit. No. 
It's the same Holy Spirit. The grace in which you stand is the same grace in which I stand. All of us. What a privilege we have. So, it means you can go anywhere in the world. You can go to China, you can go to America, you can go to the North Pole, you can go to South Africa, you can go to the village. When you find the church there, join them. They're your brothers and sisters. You are not a visitor feeling out of place. No. They are your people. You are theirs. You have the same rights in that church as they do. Worship Christ together. You are one. What an extraordinary thing God has done for us in Christ. As the hymn says, we are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with the Son. We are children of the kingdom. We are a family. We are one. Amen.